welcome once again to Raging and Eating. This is Rossi, better known as Chef Rossi, owner and executive chef of the Raging Skillet in New York, bleep 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 city. I know I'm trying not even to say the bleep bleep bleep, but I have to. What can I say? You know what I want to say, but I'm not saying it. Anyway, I'm talking to you a little earlier than I usually do, but that's okay because I'm feeling rather mellow. I had a very long and luxurious lavender salt bath. Have you ever done that? Taken a salt bath after a long, hard day? It's very, it's very good for the muscles and the bones and all that kind of stuff, but the lavender smells glorious and it's refreshing and it makes you, it's not really refreshing actually, it's more like mellowing. Anyway, you don't need to know all about my bath. I'm just telling you why I'm feeling mellow. Because I submerged in a bath after cooking all kinds of things for a whole bunch of people, par usual. Anyway, so here we are. It is the end of summer and there's a bit of wetness in the air and a chill in the air. It's the first time I felt a need to put on a light jacket in a long time. So it's the very beginning of early fall. I know it's not technically fall yet and it's not technically, you know, summer exactly over yet, but we're right there in that space in between. And I do love the weather in the in-between era glorious early fall. It's just spectacular. I think I love the spring and the fall more than I love the summer and certainly more than I love the winter. I'm not a winter girl. I don't mind the occasional snow fight, but really not a winter girl. So I don't know what you are, but that's my thing. Anyway, so I'm appreciating the early fall and the glorious weather and I don't even mind the rain because we needed a little bit of moisture. Things were drying out. And what did I do today? Well, as usual, lots of sauces and dips and marinades, like always. But what I've been thinking about today, besides the change in seasons, is how there's certain things in our life that don't really get celebrated that should. I mean, think of some mundane thing that doesn't get celebrated. As an example, since I have such a physical occupation, standing on your feet for 12, 15 hours as a chef, I tend to try and stretch out and get my body sort of loosed up and stretched out before I start my day, sort of prevent any injury. And I always thought of that as a chore I had to do. All right, here we go. I got to touch my toes. I got to sit down on the yoga mat and do some stretches. I'm not remotely into yoga. I'm not nearly gifted enough for that. But I do my sort of psycho little stretches and it's such a big chore. And then I decided I was going to start meditating. But that was also a big chore. Even to do a 10 minute long meditation, I had too many things to think about. So then I figured out that I would combine the meditating, and the stretching. Get it all over with at once. So then it became this giant chore that I had to put on the meditation tape. And while the tape was telling me to let go and not think about things and not obsess with things and just breathe in and out and la la la, 
I was also stretching my legs and my arms and my back and doing downward dog and planking and, well, I was busy. And of course, it was a big giant chore. But after a while, I realized that if I could somehow stop thinking of these things as a chore, let alone multitasking while I'm meditating and stretching, I'm multitasking, and think of it as just a really enjoyable 15 minutes or 20 minutes of my morning and kind of be with it instead of, you know, giving myself crap for multitasking and not taking the the yoga seriously and not taking the meditating seriously, just celebrate the fact that I'm doing something, right? So then I started playing the tape and, you know, kind of laughing at myself, but really getting into the stretching a little more, holding the pose a little more. Well, you know, the next thing happened and wound up being something I spent a half hour my morning doing when I have the time. I don't always. And even waking up earlier to make sure I would have the time and really, really enjoying that half hour. I elevated it not to a chore, but to a really awesome part of beginning my day. So I begin my day with a brushing my teeth and a morning pee-pee like we all do and not that you need to know, TMI, whatever. And then I'm having this elevated half hour kind of wonderful time of stretching and listening to the tape and then ignoring the tape. And then when the tape finally shuts up, I put on Todd Rundgren in honor of my beautiful friend Susie Starlight and I listen to Todd Rundgren and I do my stretching. And it's really a great part of my morning. So think about it. Like, what is something, especially in the morning, it's like, I got to get to work, time to make the donuts. What is something that you think of as a terrible chore or boring chore or something that just doesn't even get your attention at all, but you have to do it, that you could elevate? Could you elevate brushing your teeth? You could actually massage your teeth with the brush and really get into it. Granted, you know, that works better, I think, if you've smoked a little marijuana. But, um, I mean, you really could get into massaging your teeth. You know, it could not be just a chore. We're eating breakfast. Now, as a chef, I take this one very personally because we all just plow through eating. We want to get it done, fill the void, fill the stomach, rush, 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 shove it in, chew, you know, or even like eating for different purposes besides nourishment, eating to be fabulous, eating to like eat the right thing and say we did, you know, all of these things. We're taking away from the simple pleasure of eating, of eating slow enough to taste your food, to feel the texture, to enjoy the texture, to enjoy the flavor, to think about the flavor, maybe even dissect it, give it time to float around your mouth and be like, whoa, I taste garlic and ginger and lemongrass and chili pepper. You can even pick out all the things in it while you're, you know, flavoring your mouth. So elevate the act of eating. So many things you could elevate. I decided a long time ago to elevate salad dressing. That's a funny statement, I know, but by now you've figured out that's me. You never know what I'm going to say next. But when I first got into catering, 
nobody, there were things nobody ever wanted to do. And for some reason, nobody ever felt like making the salad dressing. And so I quickly realized that if I would always jump in to make the salad dressing, I was gonna be popular with the chef and therefore get a lot more work and eventually more money too. So I always jumped in. And in the beginning, salad dressings were very, well, not boring, but classical or there's not much adventure to them. They were almost always vinaigrettes. It would be something like chopping or pureeing shallots with Dijon mustard and then giving it white wine vinegar or champagne vinegar and then whisking in salt and pepper, of course, and whisking in olive oil slow enough to let it emulsify a little bit. Something along those lines. Sometimes no shallots, sometimes shallots, sometimes balsamic vinegar, sometimes white wine vinegar, white balsamic vinegar, but basically vinegar, olive oil, mustard, sometimes shallots, sometimes not salt and pepper. That was kind of, kind of it. But I discovered that I could get a really gorgeous, creamy texture. And then after a while, I started asking the chef, do you mind if I add a little extra pizzazz to it? And the chef would say, go right ahead usually as long as it stayed vegan or vegetarian. And so one time I was making my balsamic vinaigrette and I gave it a little drizzle of tamari. What do you think of that? You know what? I made a much more flavorful balsamic vinaigrette. And one time I was making my champagne vinaigrette and I gave it a little, well, I gave it honey. It's not unusual. I had it honey all along. This time around, I wanted to try something a little different, and I gave it a spoonful, believe it or not, of apricot preserves instead of the honey. It was delicious, and no one really could tell what I had done. These little changes, I tried giving my salad dressing a little drizzle of maple syrup. I tried giving my salad dressing a little drizzle of raspberry preserves, and that became my raspberry vinaigrette. So instead of just fresh raspberries and red wine vinegar and olive oil and Dijon mustard, I gave it a spoonful of raspberry jam and it was glorious. Anyway, after a while, I started really, really, really elevating salad dressings. I've done all kinds of crazy, kooky, wonderful salad dressings. And I, I like to take classic ideas and run off with them. I give you an example. Caesar salad dressing. Everyone likes Caesar salad, or most people do. I personally do not like anchovy, so I don't mind a little bit in my dressing, but I don't want to be like, you know, inundated with anchovy. So I tend to do a kinder Caesar, Caesar salad dressing for everyone that everyone would like. And so I'll puree garlic, and then after a while I realized if I would roast the garlic or saute the garlic, or simmer the garlic in oil, take away the raw garlic flavor. That was much more excellent for everything. So then I would usually put a ton of garlic in a pot and cover it with oil and simmer it. But however you want to do it, roast in the oven is fine too. I puree my roasted, cooked, however you made it, garlic. And then I give that, that puree a heaping amount of mustard. And instead of just Dijon mustard, I'll do a mixture of Dijon mustard and grain mustard. So now in my Esposa, my food processor, 
I've got my roasted gorgeous garlic and my Dijon mustard and my grain mustard, and I'm pureeing that. And then I give it some Tabasco because I'm a white trash girl and I puree that. And then I give it a little sriracha because I love saying it and I'm a wild child and I puree that. And then I give it some Worcestershire. So there's where our anchovies come in in a sneaky way. And then I give it some gluten-free tamari, which is not traditional at all for Caesar, but you'll never ever know it's there and it's delicious. And I puree that. And then I give it a ton of fresh lemon lemon juice, which is traditional, and I puree that. And then I give it some champagne vinegar in addition to the fresh lemon juice, which is gorgeous, and I puree that. Now I've got this thick, gorgeous, pureed lemon vinegar, Worcestershire mustard, hot sauce, garlicky, awesome mess. And I put some mayonnaise in a bowl, And I whisk my wet mess that I made into the mayonnaise. Keep whisking until I get something that's kind of the texture of like a creamy salad dressing. But I want to loosen it up more. So from that point, I whisk in virgin olive oil. Whisk, whisk, whisk. And from that point, I throw in a ton of grated Parmesan and give it some more virgin olive oil. And then because it's just fun, I drizzle in more vinegar. Very often I'll drizzle in sherry vinegar for extra flavor. And salt and pepper, season it up. Already now I've got the most gorgeous, beautiful Caesar salad dressing that I made my way, a little different way. I toss up my romaine in that and give it Parmesan and croutons and everything else. It's a gorgeous thing. Sometimes I will also whisk in anchovy paste if I'm asked. Sometimes my clients want to keep it vegan, so then no Parmesan and no Worcestershire, actually, because it's got anchovy in it. But believe me, I make up for it with hot sauce and mustard and sriracha and everything else. So that's my Caesar salad dressing. So you can see we're elevating, elevating, elevating salad. I've done kooky, crazy things to salad dressing. One day, I had grape jelly in my kitchen. I had a lot of it, and the reason was that I had a groom who was obsessed with peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, so we passed them on beautiful brioche as an hors d'oeuvre, these gorgeous little perfect peanut butter and jelly sandwiches on brioche fluffy bread. But then I had a ton of peanut butter left over and a ton of jelly left over, plain old grape jelly, I think like Smucker's grape jelly, you know, like you grew up with. I thought, what can I do with this? Well, you know what? I had to make a salad dressing, and I thought, why not? So I started with my Dijon mustard, and I started with my red wine vinegar and my sherry vinegar, half-half, and I pureed that up or whisked that up, whatever I did, and then I whisked in a good glob of grape jelly pureed that up. So now I have my vinegar and my grape jelly and my mustard already looking good. Salt and pepper getting better and better. And then I slowly drizzled in olive oil while I whisked and whisked and whisked. That's a hard word to say and I said it anyway. And I basically got a grape jelly vinaigrette and the grape jelly sweetened it up and gave it a kind of an interesting tang and it bounced off the vinegar and the mustard and I pulled it back with good amount of fresh ground pepper and kosher salt and a nice olive oil and it was a beautiful beautiful salad dressing 
So you got some jelly in your fridge. It's not just for peanut butter and jelly. Oh, and the peanut butter, that also found its way into a salad dressing. I made a gorgeous Asian salad dressing and I put my creamy peanut butter in and I pureed it with fresh ground ginger, gorgeous, and some garlic, gorgeous, and some lime juice, beautiful, and some sweet red hot chili pepper puree, gorgeous, and I gave it some honey, beautiful, puree puree, and some toasted sesame oil, just a gorgeous thing. And then I wanted to make it a little wetter and not so thick. So I gave it some super hot water, almost boiling to kind of thin out the peanut butter. And I gave it a little itty bit of canola oil, because why not? And I adjusted the seasoning with salt and pepper. And I got a gorgeous peanut salad dressing that was great on an Asian salad I was making with bok choy and bean sprouts and toasted, I think I did toasted cashews and that. It's a beautiful thing. So think about all the things you can elevate. And people are the same. Can you elevate a person? I mean, I'm guilty of taking people for granted. I realize I've done that. Sometimes, unfortunately... I've had to lose them, I mean, forever. Like my mother, I certainly appreciate her now in a way I never did before she passed. So many things I would have asked her if I knew that I was gonna run out of time so quickly. She always wanted to talk about the family. I mean, she somehow knew about our family since the 1400s. She knew that it was a direct relative of ours, that we were direct descendants of a rabbi in the time of Queen Isabella who was like the head rabbi of his community and Queen Isabella wanted to make an example out of him in front of everyone. So she wanted him to eat pork in front of his congregation and he refused and so she burned, Queen Isabella burned my great, great, great and many great grandfather at the stake in front of his congregation for refusing to eat pork. Which is kind of a heavy-duty legacy to be told about by your mother when you're six years old. I mean, Lord. But um, one thing my mother would say very often was Slava. That's my Hebrew. That's my Yiddish name. Not Hebrew. It was a Yiddish name. If you ever eat pork, you'll smell your ancestors burning. Wow. I want to talk about having issues. To this day, I cook the most fabulous barbecue pork and the most gorgeous Puerto Rican pernil. I put bacon in everything, but I have never put a piece of pork or bacon in my mouth. The second I even consider it, I hear my mother's voice, Slava, if you ever eat pork, you'll smell your ancestors burning. It worked. Let me tell you, it really worked. So mom, wherever you are, Dianu, you know what I mean? But my point is that I took her for granted There were always stories, and I remember so many of them, but not all of them. And who was it that I would speak to to remind me of some of the great stories that I forgot? And I could remind her of some of the great stories she may have started to forget was my sister, my oldest, longest witness. And we lost her this year, too. I took for granted that she would be around forever to tell me all the crazy stories of my childhood and we could laugh and laugh and I would tell her and she would tell me, remember this, 
do. Yes, remember this, Yaya, our baby names for each other. We would go on forever with those stories. And I think about my father who always, you know, he always had an old world kind of justice and morality, the last of the G.I. Joe, you know, World War II vets. It was all honor and discipline and honesty. And, and it was a little too much for me growing up. Lord knows I rebelled against that. I didn't want a G.I. Joe uptight dad. I wanted to smoke pot and drink Hiram Walker blackberry brandy. I wanted to get the hell out of there and dye my hair pink and be a punk rocker and forget about it. But in the last five years of my father's life, I learned to really appreciate that old school simplicity. And we had some long talks. I remember going to see him when he was in the hospital and just sitting there and asking him questions about his life. And he was a a man of very few words. It was hard to kind of pull out all of the information from him, but I was dying to know. And then while I was sitting there, I realized, you know, he actually doesn't know a lot about me. I left home when I was 16. How much does this man really know about me? So I decided to sit down and tell him about my life. He knew intellectually that I was a caterer, but he really didn't know anything about what I did. I told him, what it was like to cook for two and 300 people, some of the crazy stories of weddings and some of the challenges, some of the funny stories. And every day I would visit him in the hospital, I would say, Dad, let me tell you another one. I cooked for 300 people a couple of weeks ago. And he would go, wow, that's amazing. And I would dazzle him with my stories. And it was really kind of a great experience for me. And I realized what I hadn't done was elevate my father, elevate him. You know, in the Jewish religion, and it should be in every religion, but it says, honor thy father and thy mother. Sometimes it's hard to do. And sometimes we have abusive fathers and mothers and alcoholic fathers and mothers and mentally ill fathers and mothers. And, you know, there's a lot of stuff. You you can't just honor thy father and thy mother if thy father is beating you or my mother has abandoned you, you know, you have to give yourself a little break in that. But when it's possible, it's kind of cool to honor thy father and thy mother. And also to respect the elders in your life. I don't know what is going on, but I am surrounded by really, really rotten teenagers and 20-somethings lately. I've noticed they never, ever hold the door open for anyone, including old ladies. In my neighborhood, I'm just seeing them going by in their bikes and scooters. The light is red. The sign says, walk. An older woman starts to walk, and zoom, comes a teenager on his scooter, almost killing the old woman. I mean, what is going on? You know, one day you're going to be the older person, you little dingleberry douchebags, and you're going to wish and pray that someone would be a little nicer and a little more gentle with you. So give it a rest and respect your elders. Maybe that makes me sound like a square, but do it. So elevate people that are older than you because they've been around a long time. They know a lot more than you do. They might be a little bit frail physically, emotionally, mentally, who knows, or they may be very powerful in ways that you could never understand mentally and emotionally. But, you know, they deserve some respect, so elevate them. So elevate salad dressing, 
elevate your parents unless they're abusive alcoholic, you know, dingleberries. Elevate the elder people in your life. You know, elevate the mundane parts of your life you have to get through. Just all about elevation. Elevation, darling. There, now I'm Catherine Hepburn. The Cadillys are in bloom again, and please elevate your elders. Did I sound like Catherine Hepburn? Well, I felt like Catherine Hepburn. I had a friend of mine who had an opportunity, here we're digressing again, to do Catherine Hepburn's hair. And it was very exciting for Catherine because evidently this was going to be the first time she'd had her hair dyed or highlighted. It was hard to imagine because she was in her 80s at that point. And my friend went to her home, I guess this was in Connecticut, and Catherine greeted her and she was wearing a black turtleneck and khaki pants and she was beautiful and casual and no makeup on and she was wearing sandals. And my friend did her hair and Catherine was lovely and had a really great time. And then afterwards, Catherine wanted to change clothes because I guess her clothes had gotten smudgy from having her hair done. And she opened her closet and there was an entire closet of khaki pants and black turtleneck shirts and many, many pairs of sandals. So I have to say, Catherine really, really knew what she liked. But I always loved that story because Catherine was just giddy and excited like a little kid. Oh, I'm going to do something I've never done before. I've always wanted to get those, you call them highlights. Ooh, I just, ooh, the hella lilies are in bloom. Anyway, and then, but she wasn't willing to be risky about her clothes. She only wanted the turtlenecks and the khakis. Can I say, it looked good on her. Catherine, darling, wherever you are, the Kella Lilies will always be in bloom for you, forever. You were a pure magic, a true star. I don't know, not so many people like that anymore. Catherine Hepburn, Betty Davis, love you ladies forever. Joan Crawford, eh, not the mother of the year, but brilliant, gotta say. I was more of a Betty Davis fan growing up. Don't ask for the moon. We have the stars. Yes, I know if you're listening to this and you're a millennial, you probably don't know what the hell I'm talking about. But just Google it and watch some Betty Davis movies, will you? Because she was brilliant. Now, elevate your salad dressing. Be nice to the older people in your life. And elevate the things that you do that you don't appreciate that maybe could be a lot nicer. I mean, I know people that find it a real chore to make breakfast. I mean, not, I'm not really into it, but I used to find it, um, I'm not really into making breakfast because I'm always in a rush, so I'm just talking about myself too. I used to find it a real chore to make oatmeal, even though I liked eating oatmeal. And then I started realizing that there's all kinds of things you can do to oatmeal to make it really exciting. Now I add a spoonful of almond butter to my oatmeal. I add chopped nuts and fruit and sliced banana. I mean, everyone knows you can do maple syrup and sugar and all that, but I'm not so into the sugar. So I'll do cashews that I chop up a little bit. I'll do pumpkin seeds for my girlfriend, not for myself. And sliced banana is always gorgeous, mixed with the hot boiling broth. I kind of cook it into the oatmeal. Almond butter or peanut butter or cashew butter or walnut butter. Toasted walnuts are gorgeous in my oatmeal. Blueberries, raspberries, sliced grapes. I'm telling you, we have, my girlfriend and I collectively have elevated oatmeal to be like the star of the morning. 
you know, where you almost want to take a picture and send it to a newspaper. Look at this. And then at the very top, a spoonful of blueberry yogurt and occasionally a berry or two on top of that too. It's exciting. Anyway, what can I say? I'm in a mood. You can blame it on the lavender salted bath that I submerged in. Maybe you should go have a bath too. This is Rossi, better known as Chef Rossi. And as always, food is love and so are you. So don't throw out that grape jelly. It makes a killer salad dressing. So does the raspberry jelly and the orange preserves and pretty much any kind of jelly, fig jam, you name it. Try it, you'll like it.